Welcome to this month's edition of Pulp Nonfiction, the paper and packaging podcast. I'm Greg Johnson with Sustana Fiber. And as always, I'm happy to be joined by my co-host, Dr. Marta Pazos. So Marta, instead of having one guest with us today, we actually have two guests. That's why we couldn't be more excited to have Ann Barr, the executive director of Sunoco Fresh, and Dr. Andrew Hurley of Clemson University here with us today. Ann and Andrew, it's great to see you and thank you for visiting with us today. Oh, thank you for having us. I've really enjoyed the podcast and all the interesting people you've had, and we're just so honored to be invited. Right on, Ann. Glad to be here. Well, Ann, let's start with you. I know that the Sunoco product started back in 1899 as the Sunoco Novelty Company, but fast forwarding to today, could you please tell us a little bit about how Sunoco Fresh started, how you became involved in the organization, and some of the critical environmental issues like food waste that you're addressing? Yeah, absolutely. So um, Sunoco and Clemson both started in South Carolina in the late 1800s. And Clemson is South Carolina's land-grant university, which means our mission is to leverage education to help drive economic development. So, you know, in the 1800s, that was all about agriculture. Fast forward to the uh, to today. And we are really focused on technology and how can we leverage our resources to work with industry. So Tineco Fresh was kicked off really to look at how could you innovate with packaging and look at the entire food value chain to help reduce food waste. So actually, I'm really curious, since you are uh, talking about a holistic approach to food waste uh, as food and packaging, how much are you looking at using food waste? as a packaging material? Oh, that's a great question. Um, yeah, so let me just kind of step back a half a step. So in terms of the holistic approach, to our knowledge, we're the only university taking a holistic approach. And our philosophy is that if you're going to have an impact, you really need to understand what happens in the sector before the sector you're in and the impact that activities in your sector will have on what's going to happen next. So that's kind of the, the, the why for our approach. We've done some other really interesting work with bio-based materials, such mm -hmm. as using lignin, which is a wood derivative to um, help create a new process for baking foam for food packaging. Um, and that technology actually won the um, 2022 EPA Green Chemistry Award, which is a national award. So we're pretty excited about that. There's a lot of research going on in the university that is looking at agricultural waste byproducts from different industrial processes. You know, they're creating co-extrusions and different films, displacing uh, petroleum-based products with organic-based products. Um, I mean, so th there's a lot of people, you know, doing that work. Um, they're combining it with like silicon nanocrystals, for instance, to create these new composite mm -hmm. materials. But at the end of the day, you know, my thought on this particular subject matter is when you add more difference in your packaging, you make it more difficult to ultimately recycle and return to where it needs to go. So actually, in my opinion, trying to look at designing for recycling um, and, and using more commodity-based uh, uh, opportunities that are out there um, you know, actually may, may be beneficial for the long run, but there's a lot of advances in chemical recycling processes that can look to split things out 
Uh, but that, but definitely it, it complicates things, right? And in, in, in using uh, food waste, but I'm I'm 100 behind. And is reducing food waste is important, and there's a lot of packaging technologies that can help to catalyze that. You know, we talk about new packaging ideas, but if packaging doesn't perform its fundamental job of protecting the contents, you can end up with more food waste. So any kinds of innovations really need to be run through the entire gamut. So we have testing capabilities to see, you know, does that packaging hold up in a commercial in a commercial environment? How does it work if it's shipped on a truck? What does it look like if it gets vibrated? So for us, it's really, it's not just about changing the packaging, but it's changing the packaging effectively. I wanted to ask Andrew a question. Um, Andrew, you probably recall back in late September and early October of 1982, Chicago was traumatized by some really scary poisoning tragedies involving the popular pain reliever Tylenol, which fortunately led to the development of tamper-resistant packaging. Can you tell us what's going on in the safe packaging space these days, not only for pharmaceuticals, but for food and beverage products as well? If you look at new spaces, and we don't get many new things. I actually don't believe there's much new in the world. It's just different, right? So, But cannabis is very interesting to me because as this product is rolled out, there's a lot of like fresh legislation around how it's managed. And tamper-proof and child-proof technologies in the cannabis space has exploded. There are so many technologies that are available now because of you know this new product category that there's a lot more options. I've seen some very innovative and novel things in the cannabis space that can be applied to OTC and to food and beverage. So certainly that, that you know, tamper-proof, child-resistant packaging, it has been really leveled up through, through cannabis. Um, safety, I mean, if you know, just sticking on the cannabis trend here, I mean, if you look at, at cannabis and, and, and its blockchain-based you know, chain of custody that's going on, I mean, and, you know, basically everything is recorded, your address is recorded at these uh, different dispensaries. Um, it's really easy to connect people to issues with the product. So if you think about recalls that are happening all the time in the food space, having that really clear, you know, chain of custody understanding allows for a distributor to quickly inform, you know, users that, uh, you know, directly that there may be a problem with their product. So I, I put that in the safety um, bowl there. So QR codes, you know, I think that this technology has existed for quite some time and COVID really made QR codes you know, popular again, if they ever were before. Uh, but being able to use QR codes now to connect directly, brands directly with their consumers is a um, really interesting technology that I think is in line of what the question that you asked, right, of being able to quickly connect the consumer and the brand together to distribute essential information. Even QR codes could help you understand where the product was manufactured or the different areas in which the ingredients were acquired. So there's just a lot more transparency. And I think that is in safety and, um, you know, even not really tamper proof, but certainly in the, in the safety category. You talked before about the design for recyclability. The more tamper proof that you put, the more, you know, um, the ceiling, the more uh, tamper evident uh, components in packaging you put, the least recyclable you make it because those are generally different materials. So how do you reconcile that? 
I have three rules that, that I follow in terms of making decisions on packaging. It's all encompassing across all of these. And the first one is you need to design everything with recycled materials. We need to be supporting the recycling supply waste streams and using that material. Number one, step one, everything should be designed with post-consumer recycled content. You can't follow rule number one, you go to rule number two, and that would be you need to design your systems to go into these uh, recycled waste streams. So you should not be using, you know, multi-layer impossible to separate, you know, systems that can't even go to store drop-off. They can't, they can't be recycled. They're chemical process. There's no waste stream for it. I mean, if you don't update this, you, you, first of all, consumer behavior will change and they won't buy. But the third rule is I go back to what Ann says, you design to reduce food waste because in every day we, I would definitely pick a, a, a packaging material that would extend the shelf life of my food so I can consume it and, and trade for, um, you know, packaging uh, on the back end of it. And so if you can c- confirm that argument on I'm extending food and that's why I would always trade packaging for food every single time, right? To feed people, I got to trade it for packaging. I think that's a good use of our resources. I, I like your list, Andrew, and I, I, I know you do too, Marta. Um, let's, let's get back to food waste uh, related to your last comments, um, Andrew. And I wanted to ask you this, Anne. Um, you know, there's there's been some shocking statistics involving food waste, but one that's really jumped out at me was back in 2020, it was reported that about a third of the world's food supply was wasted. And I wanted to just see what Sunoco Fresh um, is doing to help highlight that problem and, and hopefully alleviate it. And also, if you know, uh, if producers are doing anything to uh, upcycle any of their waste materials in a food sense um, to hopefully address this problem. Now, that's a great question, Greg. So, um Food waste in and of itself is, has so many different dimensions. So if you're in a developing country, most of the waste happens at the beginning of the food life cycle because there's no precision agriculture that doesn't tend to be refrigerated trucks, trains, whatever. So a lot of things don't really make it out of the field to market. And then, But once it gets to people's homes, it's consumed. In our country, we have the problem tends to be more at the consumer end. So, you know, whether it is retail. You know, we don't want to buy a head of lettuce because it doesn't look perfect. So it ends up getting wasted or it gets to our home and, you know, somebody in the house doesn't like leftovers. So that doesn't get eaten or we're at a restaurant that's, you know, upsized portions. So that doesn't get eaten. So again, we're, we're at a very different kind of point in the food waste chain. Um, so as far as what's being done to address it. So one of the, um, There's a a very large farm in South Carolina called Titan Farms. They're the second largest producer of peaches in the United States, along with a number of other crops. But um, they've been doing some research with Clemson for quite some time now and looking at what can you do with with the waste, particularly from peaches. Think about um, the life the, the life extent of a peach. It quickly bruises and there's a huge amount of waste. So what do you do with that? Um, and one of the things is you know, making purees to flavor peach ice cream, things like that. So, so there's some really interesting upcycling options there. The other thing that, um, that's being done is also capturing that waste and working on compost so that 
and it's turning it into a value-added product when you take the food waste. So a lot of the challenge is capture. As long as we're on the topic of, of food waste, I, I wanted to ask you both um, about this, this issue. Apparently, there's a lot of grocery stores that are starting to overhaul their, their date labeling. And I'm talking about the best buy, sell buy, or use buy labels that we see on a number of products in the store. And apparently, uh, a lot of consumers are confused about these dates. And as a result, there's lots of food that's being thrown away. There is real data out there that show that printed dates increase food waste. And there are some categories where dates aren't even required. They just throw the stuff up here and it, it isn't even necessary. And a lot of the times it's just a fabricated thing. It depends on a lot of environments. For instance, if you put your lettuce in the crisper drawer, you're going to wilt those leaves really fast. And so sure. you do it yourself. But um, there's, but in, in terms of it, if you're having a, you know, a, a really good um, environmental condition for it, it may last way longer, right, than, than that date. And so um, I, while I think that pack dates are very important and I would like to have them consistently placed on back of pack, um, best by dates may not be the best direction for every category out there. There's a big difference between the use by and the best by dates because best by is really more a matter of what's the product's optimal taste and freshness, right? So it's not saying if you don't use it, I mean, if, if you don't ad adhere to the best by date, it doesn't mean that it's going to make you sick. It just means that someone has decided that that's not the optimal, the peak optimal time to eat to eat that pro that food. So, yeah, so there are different nuances to each of those dates. And, and I think, you know, to the point that Greg and Andrew both brought up, there's a lot of confusion around that. Um, you know, a lot of people don't know what those nuances are. Andrew, I wanted to ask you, um, get your comments on greenwashing. We all know about companies that are introducing new products and sometimes they bend the truth a little bit. And I wanted to see... Um, what you would say to companies to, to kind of balance the honesty with the hype and interject some more truthfulness into some of their, uh, shall I say, over-boastful claims? To me, greenwashing is literally the opposite of innovation. And so what packaging people need to be doing is measuring the environmental impacts of their packaging. And a lot of companies, even big, very large established global product companies, do not know this information. And a lot of it is they don't even know the specifications to their packaging because it's all out there in, in contract third parties that are doing a lot of this. So they need if, if you want to be serious in this space, you, you need to understand the impacts that you're putting out into the world, because if you don't, you have no idea if if a new technology or a new concept is going to help you in, improve where you are today or, or advance to meet those goals. Ultimately, I think that a lot of companies don't understand their current state and they're confused about the future state. And that's where a professional in packaging needs to stand up and say, hey, please help clarify these goals for me. I think that companies that do not have measurements and clear goals are, are catalyzing greenwashing. I have heard that although there are a lot of reputable third-party certification programs, just like in greenwashing, there are some that are not. Um, and how do consumers, could you get, have any advice for consumers on how they can figure out if, if a certification is truthful or not? So if you have 
concerns right now about your packaging, um, just know that all claims, you need to have data and, or certification behind it. And it's not so much that they don't know, is that they know, they just choose what is going to work best for them marketing-wise. I want to put that out there because I think it's worth to mention that that's being done. It's not that companies don't know, is that they choose what to communicate. Uh, yeah, yeah. A- absolutely. And a lot of it is made on complete assumptions and opinions. I mean, many product managers and even you know uh, category leaders for these large companies haven't taken the time to go out there and even just watch their consumers shop their products and consume it. And if you don't have data, your consumer data, you can't even buy the data. You can, there's no report that someone's making right now that you can go buy on your specific products. You need to conduct that primary research yourself or work with a, third, a, a company who can help you do that. And um, Clemson does that. I mean, come talk to Anne or, or myself. We, we can help you get that data. But um, otherwise, it's a total opinion and assumption that you're making if you don't have the primary consumer research to to make your your marketing claims. And you'll end up probably spending a whole lot of money um, in, in order to go down paths that may not resonate at all. I know you're well aware that Sustana's fiber is added to all kinds of sustainable food and beverage packaging from paper cups and carryout containers to sandwich wraps and even microwavable sleeves. But could you tell us a little bit about what some of your members are doing at Sunoco Fresh to incorporate more recycle content into their packaging to achieve their sustainability goals? When we're looking at um, recycled content of PPE, um, if you aggregate all of the industry's commitments that have been made, you come up with about 25% recycled content by 2025. Well, here we are coming up on the end of 2022, and it's only at 10%. So we have to pick up another 15% 15% in the next two years. So that's pretty mind boggling. So what our, our companies, some of the companies we're working with are creating some new partnerships. They're thinking outside the box. Um, there are some collaborations that a few years ago would have been considered too competitive. They wouldn't have worked with their competitors. They wouldn't want to share. And now everybody is pulling together because we've got to hit those targets. So we're seeing a lot of less conventional approaches to some of these solutions. And then certainly in the paper space, paper fiber, um, you know, I think from the average consumer's perspective, paper packaging is the panacea for recycling. They see craft brown paper and they say, yay. They don't realize that it could have 15 layers of films of an oxygen barrier and a grease barrier, and it just keeps on going. So um, some of the companies we're working with are also developing some biodegradable barriers so that they'll still have the performance characteristics, but will be able to be more recyclable. I just love the fact, um, Marta, that that Sunoco Fresh and Anne, the Clemson University, the packaging school, they are all... um, on the same page as far as trying to explore all these avenues, trying to figure out what works, what doesn't. Um, you know, we all have different opinions and beliefs. And and I, I just really have always admired your interest in, in just trying to figure some of these really complex problems out. It, they're not easy. We're not going to solve them, you know, overnight. But, uh, you know, we got to give it our best shot and work hard at trying to uh, to figure them out. We do. And 
and I think, you know, as I mentioned, we're incredibly fortunate to have students who are passionate. We're also very fortunate to work with companies that want to make a difference. But I think what positions Clemson and other universities uniquely in these conversations is that we have an opportunity to really encourage the next generation of thought leaders and to give them opportunities. And as, as we conclude our conversation today, um, it, it's been a, a truly a pleasure. It's, it's been great to uh, chat with you and Andrew. But I wanted to ask you specifically um, on, on a personal as well as professional level, if you could share with our audience what you do to help the environment. Yeah, I think it starts with being more intentional. Um, and I've been in this role for three years, so I was you know, the founding director for Sunoco Fresh. And I have to say, I have learned as much as our students have, if not more, about kind of the whole conversation, how do you approach it? So a lot of it is intentionality. Um, I live in Greenville, which does not collect glass for recycling, but Clemson does. So I collect my glass, put it in my car when I'm coming to work. I drop it off at the recycling center. So things like that, that, you know, you just kind of make the extra effort to, um, and a lot of it's kind of sorting at home and then where does it go from there? So again, you know, a lot of it's just what you can do to kind of rein in your own waste. We're really grateful um, for your time today, Anne, and uh, it's been a real treat. Thank you so much. But thank you so much for having us. This was a lot of fun. Andrew, you were great. Such a pleasure. I learned so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for the invitation. Um, uh, you know, really honored to be invited to this podcast. Thanks so much. Join us next month for a new episode of Pulp Nonfiction, the paper and packaging podcast. And please be sure to visit sustanafiber.com for previous podcasts, as well as for more information on our recycled fiber products for all your sustainable packaging needs. Thanks again, remember to recycle, and we'll see you again soon.